Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping keep sports, sports with them sports Frank. Frank. Are you ready? Need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready, ready? Are you ready, boy? Place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Ah, good evening, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the fifth day or sixth day, excuse me, of the month of December, the final month of 2021, uh, getting started uh, with a bang the, the last uh, couple days between the college football playoff being announced, uh, the week 13 of the NFL, even some exciting things in the NBA. But, of course, as we all predicted, as we all thought it would happen last week, uh, Major League Baseball entered a lockout scenario now that uh, the players' union and the MLB owners could not come to an agreement uh, when it comes to their new CBA, uh, new CBA just yet. Uh, and hopefully this is not something that takes ridiculously uh, long uh, to get done. It will at some point get done. But you don't want uh, uh, it to go so long deep into uh, the offseason where a, you've taken the fans' attention uh, to away from it, and, and uh, away from the off season, and B, where you're hindering free agents. Where say say they get this done on Valentine's Day, which is right before the start of uh, spring training, you're going to have some uh, players really starting to feel the heat, really starting to uh, be concerned that, uh-oh, I got to get a seat at the table here and maybe take less of a deal than uh, they uh, more so deserved. Uh, the, you also uh, don't want, as I said, for it to be you know the hissing fight that it was last year getting uh, the... Uh, pandemic-shortened 2020 season going because neither side uh, came out well in that. And the you know you expected the commissioner to come out with a a a statement last week, but and if you read between the 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 lines uh, of it, uh, it comes off as kind of let's take a uh, Backhanded uh, uh, shot. No, let let's no. In a some way, make it look like the owners are good guys here. When no, no one is truly the good guys here. 
you know, they, he brings up how owners wouldn't agree to counter uh, the a reserve system and luxury tax unless the players agreed to advance uh, a drop number in, in key demands, including uh, time uh, to uh, it takes to get free agency. We don't need to know that. We just say that, oh, we weren't able to come to a deal in time uh, for our CBA uh, go out. We've entered this lockout, but you know what? We're very hopeful and on making a deal uh, very soon, and we look forward to doing so so we can continue the activities of our offseason. Not, you know, uh, what they were offering and what they weren't agreeing to take out of uh, potential offers because it makes no one look good. Now, if you listen to the end of last week's podcast, I was a little bit chapped, perturbed, I guess you could say those are good ways to put it because I'm looking around, you know, the landscape of baseball and it was the most activity for the end of the month of November that I can remember. And it's clearly obvious. A lot of players wanted to get a spot before the CBA was up. You know, out of potential concern over what could happen if there was an there was an extended delay, if there was you know what we're having now where there's nothing going on. I mean, it, it's even gone as far where with this lockout, you, you go to MLB.com. There's no players' faces. There's no players' names anywhere to be found. Now, you're more likely to find an executive's photo or name on MLB.com than you are with this. And, you know, no free agents can sign right now. There can be no trades being made. So players wanted to get the hassle of the offseason out of the way before this lockout coming down. And I was a little bit chapped, annoyed that the team I root for, the Yankees, weren't doing anything. Now, once this is this lockout's over, they are going to be active, I fully expect, because they can't just run it back with the same team that they were uh, last year. They're, you, know, you can't just have a scenario where uh, Joey Gallo is the only left-handed hitter in your lineup. You have a clear hole at shortstop, and... They, they've already admitted they made a mistake with the Aaron Hex contract extension several years back and realized that we got to go out and get a real center fielder, someone who's capable of playing every day, not, oh, did he, what muscle did he pull as he rolled out of bed this morning? But uh, you know, my annoyance was coming because there were players that the Yankees could have used that were going off the table, that were signing elsewhere and uh, I was a bit perturbed about the fact that they would make an offer to Justin Verlander who once he pitches this coming April uh, will be the first time in almost two years he's throwing a pitch in a real game but wouldn't make it at least an offer or have a conversation with Max Scherzer that made zero sense to me as well as 
you know, you, you look that there were, as I said, free agents that came off the board that could have been of use to Yankees. The, the one free agent shortstop that I had interest in was Corey Seager because left-handed bat would have uh, fit seamlessly in that lineup. And as a guy that I think as the contract goes on, you could have eventually converted him to third base. You, you also had uh, you know, pitchers that would have fit really nice in there at that number two spot in the rotation behind Cole, the likes of Robbie Ray and Kevin Gaussman signing with the Mariners and the Blue Jays, respectively. Chris Taylor went back to the Dodgers. That's a guy, you know, Yankees talked about wanting to become more versatile. Chris Taylor can play, what, four or five different uh, positions and be in the starting lineup playing second base one night and then out in center field on the next night, come back out and, you know, play either first or third um, the day after that. And has always been a very you know, reliable, useful player uh, in his career. They didn't trade for the catcher from the Pirates, Jacob Stallings, that forced them uh, to tender Gary Sanchez on Tuesday. And like I said, did not even make an offer to Gary, uh, to uh, Max Scherzer. So I was a bit annoyed, a bit chap, but... You know, once Seager went off the board, their plan became clear to me. And that's, they're waiting for the new CBA uh, to come out and see what the luxury tax rules are going to be. Although, no, Hal Steinberg is not exactly helping his popularity rating with the fan base when you see things come out on uh, Tuesday that he was one of the owners that voted to lower the luxury tax threshold from above 200 million i think it was at 210 to like 180 and so this is the the thing that pisses me off when it comes to uh the yankees because yeah i think hal wants to win but it's become more and more clear to me over the years that winning is not as important to him as it was his father. Now, his father did a lot of stupid things, a, uh, made a lot of deals that, you know, hurt them for years to come. Like, for example, the Jason Giambi contract. And then you look at some of uh, the deals they made back in the late 80s, early 90s, that until he got suspended and Gene Stickmichael uh, had full control of this organization, they weren't able to uh, get out of. And once he was su suspended, they finally started to build the team the correct way rather than just always jumping at uh, signing players to stupid contracts. Or, you know, even in more modern times, doing things like when Brian Cashman signed Jacob Bielsbury or the money that he's wasted on Brett Gardner or the, the contract extension to Aaron Hicks. I didn't want to see dumb things like that, but I wanted to see movement because there were players out there that were useful to them. But it's clear now they are going to wait for the new CBA. And there's still there's still guys available. You know, first base is something they're going to address, even with uh tendering Luke Voigt. That just means that they keep the right to trade him later this offseason, and they will do that because 
you know, their, their first base options you look at, it's either bring back Anthony Rizzo, who really wants to be here. They've been, their names have been attached to the hip to Matt Olson all offseason long. Or there's the slight possibility that the Braves don't work out something with Freddie Freeman and Freddie comes to the Bronx. You also still have uh, Carlos Correa out there as an option at shortstop, although depending on who you trust, who uh, report uh, you believe in, now there may be a lot of dissension and despisal in the uh, current Yankee clubhouse over the idea of bringing back, bringing in Carlos Correa. Well, that remains to be seen. But the one thing uh, uh, I I can say is myself and my fellow Yankee fans can't complain too, too much. Yes, we can get annoyed at Hal Steinbrenner always penny pinching and feels like, you know, his... Um, mantra of staying under the luxury tax is almost a self-imposed salary cap. And at times how it gets annoying where they only make trades if the opposition takes on some of the money. And he's more concerned with profit than he is winning. But let's face it, we've had it pretty damn good over the years when it comes to the Yankees. We've had a time, especially if you're in the age age range of myself or if you're 30 or younger you have not experienced bad yankee baseball you know bad yankee baseball for us is not making the playoffs in 2008 2013 2014 and 2016 and even those years they were competent and in the wild card race until the final week or second to final week of the regular season. The Yankees have given us a pretty good stretch here. The fact that we are getting close to 30 years, 30 consecutive years without a losing season for the Yankees. There there are teams that sometimes can't go five years without um, a losing season, and the Yankees have gone almost 30 years without losing seasons. So for those of us complaining, those of us freaking out, calm down. I mean, it could be a lot worse right now. Think about think about how good they've given it to us. Unlike the crap that we watch when it comes to the two football teams in this area with the Giants and the Jets. And they have become the models of ineptitude well, the last five years. Ever since uh, the boat trip for the Giants and for the Jets, no showing in Buffalo in week 17 of the 2015 season. It's been absolute garbage. Neither one has had a, a winning season. Neither one of these teams has looked the slightest co- uh, competent. Hell, the Giants, the only reason they were in the playoff race uh, last year is because the NFC East was at its all-time lowest. Uh, otherwise, that six and ten record wouldn't have been celebrated or uh, viewed as great as some Giant fans and some people in the Giants organization still think it was. And it, I mean, you look at what we witnessed yesterday. You have the Giants playing without Daniel Jones. 
go down to Miami, who... No, I know they've gotten hot. They've won five in a row. Tua Tagovailoa's played really well the last three games. But the Dolphins, since the Dan Marino era, have not been, you know, that they have not been this powerhouse force. They've 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 had a couple years there, you know, with you know Chad Pennington and you know a couple other. Uh, a middle of the pack quarterbacks where they snuck in as the final playoff team, but for the most part, they've they've been nothing to write home about uh, since Marino retired. It no the, going down to Miami and getting your ass kicked in the last twenty years is viewed as an embarrassment. And yesterday was an embarrassment for the Giants as they're running Mike Glennon out there. You're watching Mike Glennon, you're wondering. You know, Colt McCoy could have done this. Colt McCoy could have came out here and been competitive. They decided to go with Glennon. Well, Colt McCoy is out in Arizona winning games um, for the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray out for three weeks due to an ankle injury. And meanwhile, Mike Glennon, who his biggest claim to fame is that he looks like he could have played Napoleon Dynamite 15 years ago, and he's more so acting like Uncle Rico, uh, overthrowing everybody left and right, and he starts off 11 for 12, and then couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for the remainder of the game, it was an absolute crap show, and then I'm at MetLife Stadium, while I'm trying to sober up from getting too drunk during the tailgate, because someone tells me at one point I ended up with my shirt off in uh, 45 degree weather. That's a story for another day. I'm sitting there watching the Jets getting diced, getting picked apart by Gardner Minshew, of all people. Yes, that Gardner Minshew, who got let go by the Jacksonville Jaguars, he comes in into MetLife, has a damn near uh, a perfect day against the Jets, is slicing them apart, hitting uh, Dallas Goddard at will. The Jets are getting burned up the middle by Miles Sanders to the point where they only had the football for 70 seconds in the third quarter. And you're looking at at this and you're like, what is this trash? What is this garbage? I mean, the Jets have, they hire a defensive-minded coach as um, their head coach, and they've been the worst defense in football. They're the only team in the sport that allows 30 points per game. I mean, it, it, and then afterwards you got Bryce Hall saying, oh, we did not prepare for Gardner Minshew playing this game, but we did. Uh, we were all, all week preparing for Jalen Hurts. I mean, it was just it was embarrassing all the way around when it comes to New York football yesterday. Between the Giants having to play Mike Glennon and the Jets sitting there once again losing to the Eagles, who I mean. You would think that the Eagles are the New England Patriots against the New York Jets. The, the Eagles are 12-0 and 0 lifetime against the New York Jets. 
and you would think at some point, at one point, that they would slip on the banana peel and have one bad week against the New York Jets. But, you know, even in a week where you're sitting there and saying, oh, Zach Wilson played well in the first half, you're more so concerned about the fact that this team is continuously allowing 30 points per game every week, getting burned by quarterbacks that are only caring about their porn star mustaches and not even being aware that that is going to be the quarterback that starts against you that given week. I mean, so like I said, I can get annoyed, get mad that the Yankees didn't make any moves before the lockout. But unlike the Jets and unlike the Giants, I think we've had it pretty damn good with them for the last, no, 30 years. And it could be a lot worse. You know, the late 80s into early 90s Yankees were a lot like the crap we are currently watching from our two football teams that currently reside at Mess Life Stadium. All right. Got to get to a lot more football as this goes on here. Uh, between, the, you know, college football with the playoff being set over the uh, weekend as well as, you know, the, the NFL week uh, 13 yesterday where you still have, you know, so much up for grab. I mean, you look at how many teams are still in the mix when it comes to the playoffs, it's almost eye-popping. And we talk about this month being a separator time for it. Now, we'll go through all of that. Also mix in some basketball. So please, sit back, relax, help put your feet up if you feel like it. And continue keeping it sports with them 3 So, one more game in the to go to put things in the books for week 13 in the NFL. And I'm I'm in an awkward spot here because of what I have to do tonight. I have to sit there and more so root for the Buffalo Bills. Now, I said this to a good friend of mine actually uh former uh, instructor of mine at uh, the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, uh, the great Brian the Fish Fishman, uh, earlier today on uh, Facebook, was commenting on one of his statuses about the Bills. And I said, no, it, unfortunately, I have to somewhat root for your team tonight. But it's with good purpose. Because we have to put this demon to bed. You know, we thought they were dead. We thought they were gone. We thought they disappeared. But uh, unfortunately, the Patriots are still alive. And um, unfortunately, that's going to continue until Bill Belichick ever decides to retire sometime in the time of 2035. When he's, you know, 83 years old, I, I think, 
you know, by then, and even then he'll still be very young for his age, and even then he'll still be giving us absolutely nothing as far as answers in post-game press conferences, but at least then he'll have old age as a reason at that time. But, you know, right now you look at the playoffs, especially in the AFC side of things. With the exception of three teams, the Jets, the, the Houston Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, everyone is still alive. Everyone is still in the mix, in the hunt, as we like to say, for uh, postseason berth. I mean, we talked about the Dolphins a couple minutes ago with uh, their win over the Giants yesterday. You know, the Dolphins have won five in a row and have gotten themselves back in the mix. Tua is playing very well. He's completed 80% of his passes the last three games. And they sit here today, they are, you know, a game and a half back of the Cincinnati Bengals who had a uh, kind of uh, double deflating loss, I guess you could say, against the Chargers yesterday. Because the Chargers get off to this 24 Oh, lead in the first 20 minutes of the game. You know, Burrow had uh, thrown an early interception. Uh, Bengals having some of their uh, uh, turnover problems uh, uh, that they've had this year. I mean, it's going to happen when you have a gunslinger uh, like Burrow. But they race back, get this to a two-point game, heading to the fourth quarter, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be another Chargers collapse and then Mixon fumbles, uh, gives up a 61-yard uh, fumble recovery uh, touchdown to uh, Tavion Campbell of uh, the Chargers, and were never able to truly get their footing uh, back. You know, the Chargers are, are a weird team. They have a great young quarterback, but week to week, you never know what you're going to get out of this team. They had... They had a chance to run away with uh, the AFC West with the problems that the Chiefs were dealing with earlier this year. And instead, uh, now going 3-2 and two, uh, in their last five games, have allowed Kansas City right back in the mix. Kansas City's gone 5-0 and oh, um, in the last month, but most of that has been on the strength of their defense. Their defense, you know, until the fourth quarter last night, hadn't allowed a touchdown since week 10. Now, they their defense ha, had been pe- playing bend, don't break. You know, that with the Broncos able to move the football down the field against them, but never able to get into the end zone until the Chiefs were playing prevent late in the game. You know, saying, hey, we'll just let the clock uh, uh, run down here, We're not, but we're not going to let you uh, beat us over the top. You know, the, you still got problems where Mahomes is turning the, the football over too much, and this offense is not really clicking because they don't have that good, consistent gr- ground game. I mean, it, their, their offense is basically Mahomes to Hill and Kelsey and th- and that's it. No, none of these other guys s- step up and be you know that either that back out of the backfield that Kareem Hunt once was for them or that 
no, under the radar third option that Sammy Watkins was the last couple of years where you're like, you know, that's a guy that's a, a number two wide receiver on most teams and he's, uh, you know, burning them uh, down the field as their number three. But, you know, can't it's starting to shape up where you look at the AFC. And I would expect in the next couple of weeks, a couple of these teams to fall out of the mix. I mean, with, Oak, with I almost called them Oakland, sorry about that, Las Vegas, the fact that it's starting to catch up to them what they've been through uh, the all season long with losing their coach, with one of their players getting arrested and probably spending a good chunk of his life in jail. They've now all lost four out of five. Cleveland, who knows how big one week off is going to help Baker Mayfield's uh, non-throwing shoulder. Denver, you know, Ted, can you really t- trust Teddy Bridgewater? Like a- every time you're ready to write them off, all of a sudden they come back and beat someone they shouldn't. Like last week against uh, the Chargers out at Mild High. Uh, the the teams that are, and then there's Pittsburgh who. Ben, I think, has finally come to the resignation that all of us have already known that this is going to be his final year. The team that's on the outside looking in right now that you have to really be concerned about is the Indianapolis Colts. That That is the team that, you know, no one should be, be wanting to get in. No one should be overly excited about the possibility of them getting in because they play... Even for a dome team, they play the style of football that is needed at this time of year. That cold weather, ground and pound, run the football, dominate the line of scrimmage uh, kind of offense with you know Jonathan Taylor, who he's probably not going to win the MVP since it's a quarterback favored award right now. But he's definitely going to be in the top you know, three, four candidates uh, when all is said and done. Are you, you're looking, where are, the, the Colts have only played, uh, have still have four games left to go. And he's already at uh, 1,300 yards. He's got, you know, 16 touchdowns on the season. He's uh, rushed for 100 yards uh, in seven games so far. And has another four games where he's uh, rust for over a buck forty. He's just been astounding uh, uh, this year. You know, been that safety valve to allow Carson Wentz not to make as many mistakes uh, and force them to be more of a run-centric offense. They're the team in the AFC to look out for. They're the team that, you know, if Cincinnati or uh, the uh, the Chargers slip up a little bit, they could pop right into the playoffs. Now, when you look at the seeding in the AFC, you have, you know, the the four division leaders right now are in a four-way tie for eight and four with, unfortunately, the Patriots as the number one seed. That could have been changed yesterday if John Harbaugh didn't go for a two-point conversion at the end and would have sent out Justin Tucker. But no, I think a lot of people 
a lot of the complaints I've seen from people on TV, heard from on radio, read um, online today, is more based off of the result of the play rather than, oh, not trusting Justin Tucker. Because let's face it, look at, you know, Lamar had TJ Watt right in his face. He kind of just had to zing it or he was going to get sacked and they wouldn't even gotten a playoff. And Mark Andrews, if you look at it, kind of turned around too early. If he would have kept going, would have had a better chance at catching the football there. It w- in what was still a relatively catchable pass. So, you know, probably nine times out of ten, that's a play they make that they have a better shot at. But you had the potential front runner for Defensive Player of the Year in TJ Watt right in Lamar's face on it. And he made as... Go to throw in that circumstance that he probably could have. You know, the concern, though, I have with Baltimore is, you know, defensively, they're still getting the job done for the most part. Even with now, you know, losing another corner, losing Humphreys uh, to what they hope is not an ACL injury. But, you know, offensively, this is four straight games for them now that they've scored under 20 points. And, you know, in the postseason, you're not going to be able to win every game 17-14. At some point, you, you want to have a deep, extended run. You want to be the team that gets out of the AFC, gets past, you know, the Kansas Cities, the Buffaloes of the world, Tennessee, New England. you got to put up some points here. Now, and with the, the way refs call it in the postseason, call it uh, close to the vest, there will be the chance to score, and you know, Baltimore's got to get their um, offense going, get things straightened out as they hit the month of January. Now, when you look at the NFC side of things right now, you know, the top dogs in the, in the playoff race, I think, have kind of cemented uh, themselves. You know, Arizona was able to hold tight without Murray and Hopkins for a couple of weeks, were able to survive those injuries with Colt McCoy as their starting quarterback and you know, have maintained the the lead in the NFC, but have to you know be wary of the fact that Green Bay is one game behind them and holds the tiebreaker on them for the number one seed in the NFC. You also have the fact that Tom Brady is not looking like 43, probably won't anytime soon, and is just continuously setting new bars, new records for himself. You know, yesterday, him and Gronk uh, becoming the second most, uh, um, how would you put it, the when it comes to quarterback to a receiver or a tight end in this uh, situation, have had the second most touchdowns together for any duo in NFL history, only to uh, Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. So they're still lurking for the one seat. Dallas, even with 
how much uh, you know, Zeke Elliott uh, is struggling and uh, the, their offense no, only won by 10 in New Orleans last week. They are s- still uh, in the hunt and they have a lot to play for because you know, Washington has surprised us. Won four in a row, three um, and oh, since the Chase Young injury. Uh, they've, they're playing respectable football. Taylor Heineke ha- is looking like a guy that, you know, until you find a truly elite, better option, should stick as the quarterback for the Washington uh, football team. They're only two games back of Dallas, and these two teams play twice in the final five games of the season. So not only does Dallas have have to continue to play hard for pushing up their seeding and maybe make a run at the one seed, but they've got to hold off the, the football team for when it comes to the number one spot in uh, the, the NFC East. And then you have a whole bunch of these teams that are piled up at five and seven, six and seven, you no, know, a game back of a postseason spot. You know, with the Eagles who are who are six and seven, even with the injuries that they've had uh with you know they lose uh Boston Scott, they lose uh Jalen Hurts, but oh Miles Sanders comes out and runs for 120 yards uh uh, yesterday for them. Uh, the Panthers, who you know, can't seem to get their quarterback situation figured out, uh, yet are still somewhat alive. Uh, the Falcons and the Saints, you know, the, the Falcons' defense can't stop anyone. The Saints, you know, I think they have too many injuries. The it's becoming more apparent that this offense worked better under Jameis Winston as much as we make fun of him for being the NFL's only 30 for 30 guy. They were more effective under Jameis Winston than they uh, will ever be with either Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon at the helm. But, you know, the, the, you know as I said, the, the hierarchy in the NFC has... Um, been decided you know uh, the 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 questions to be asked are can, um, can Dallas hold off Washington football team or are they gonna have another one of these kind of choke jobs that makes you really question the whole America's team thing can uh, Los Angeles make a run at Arizona for the top spot in the NFC West and then who's gonna be that seventh team to make the NFC side of the playoffs. Is it going to be San Francisco if Jimmy Garoppolo can stop turning the football over left and right? Or are the Eagles going to run their way into uh, the mix here? Now, Minnesota is still alive, but I, I really don't trust them uh, um, no, to be consistent. I mean, yesterday the, yesterday should have been an easy win for them going up against uh, the league's only winless team. And they give up a walk-off touchdown uh, on the final second uh, to the Lions for them to finally get off the snide. So, you know, while the AFC things are clamped up, the NFC things are a little more defined at the top, can you really trust anyone 
in the bottom when it comes to the wild card mix in the NFC. But I will say one thing. This is going to be fun coming down the stretch here. Now, with this extra game uh, um, on everybody's schedule, an extra week where potential all hell could break loose. I mean, this, especially on the NFC side of things, when it comes to these wild card spots and two potential divisions, it's going to come down to the final week. Hell, you look at AFC, especially you know if the Colts... Uh, can continue to dominate with the ground game and the Steelers continue to fake contention somehow, we're going to have a very fun month of December in the NFL. All right, I'll be back in a minute with my attention to the NBA as they had a uh, you know, interesting week between things happening with the LeBron, uh, the Nets, the Suns, the, the, the Knicks, even... You know, the Warriors. So continue to keep it sports with M3. Reminder, as always, you can find uh, this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Instagram, uh, our handle is at keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore m3 yes i know that's a mouthful to say a lot of underscores there but that's unfortunately what instagram makes you do on twitter it's at keeping it sports and my personal twitter account is at m3 rosansky and on facebook find us facebook.com slash keeping it sports when m3 four places that you will find the link to the podcast each and every single week, as well as uh, you can go on Spotify, just type in Keeping Sports with M3. Very soon, hopefully, I'll have it up on Apple Podcasts. Just got to work on some uh, technical issues, should we say, uh, when it comes to that. Now, last week in the NBA, we saw, uh, no, come to an end one of the best winning streaks we've seen in five years when the Phoenix Suns uh, his, historic winning streak for the month of November end at 18 games. They went 16-0 and during uh, November had after a 1-3 start raced all the way up to the number two spot in the Western Conference and all it took was a a good night from Steph Curry. And when I say good night, I mean, you know, for an average night for him, good night for some role players in the sport. But remember, Tuesday night, he had the worst shooting performance of his career. You didn't expect awful back-to-back games for Steph like that. You expected him, especially in his home gym, to uh, have some kind of response, some kind of, uh, you know, bounce back uh, game. And uh, hey, at some point, the Phoenix Suns, they were going to catch up to someone on uh, a uh, bad night. They were going to have a an off game. You know, you're not going to win 
every game. You're not going to go undefeated forever, but the winning streak they had was impressive. You, know, only, you look at only eight games, they won by double figures. So they were winning a lot of close games. How five of them uh, were won by five or fewer points. So they, they were showing heart, toughness, resiliency coming down the stretch. Now, Devin Booker was phenomenal throughout this stretch, as you would expect him to be, uh, leading with uh, 24 points a game. Their defense played very well after what's been a slow start to the uh, season for them. They they held they held opponents under 100 points eight times uh, in that 18 game winning streak. And like I said, it was a winning streak that we have not seen in this sport in five years, becoming the first team to go 16 and 0 or better in a month since uh, the 2015-2016 Golden State Warriors did uh, in the month of November of their historic 73-9 season a couple years ago that um, they would end up losing uh, to LeBron's Cavs in the finals. Now, it was a weird week for LeBron as he had to miss a couple of games because, uh, unfortunately... At first, we thought he tested positive for COVID, but it would turn out to be a false positive on his test that he took out in uh, Sacramento. Had to miss uh, games against uh, the Pistons and uh, the Kings, but his crew was you now able to hold serve. Even you now coming coming back from down fourteen early against. Uh, the uh, Sacramento Kings to uh, blow them out late. You know, the Lakers, it's interesting. You know, the big problem I look at with the Lakers is, you know, what do you do with Westbrook and LeBron on the court together? Because Westbrook is a ball-dominant point guard, but LeBron James dominates controls most of the offense when he's on the court. He's the the offense gonna facilitate through him. He's not just gonna stand off in the corner and let somebody else uh do it. And meanwhile, when you have someone else controlling the offense, though Westbrook looks lost out there. He kind of looks like he's just standing around. That's why it did not work out with him and James Harden in Houston like um some would have hoped or expected. Plus, the the Lakers, you know, if they're not going to shoot well, they're not going to, um, uh, you know, be an overly dominant team. Because if they're not going to have, uh, you know, big shooting nights, Anthony Davis has shown he's more of a finesse big man than he is a big powerful brunt big man he's he's more of a, a bigger chris bosh from his time with the miami heat where he wants to shoot more away from the basket that he was that he does want to dominate inside and you saw the, the other night when they don't shoot well from three they are not going to uh win even against average opponents like the clippers the clippers who they're still without Kawhi. Who knows if he's going to play this year at all. You don't have as much depth as they did last year. I mean, they were 
out Nicholas Platoon uh, the other night as well. And still, you got you know Serge Ibaka out there uh, making three pointers, uh, uh, clogging up the, the uh, paint. And the Lakers, you know, right now, I know it's early, uh, only 24 games, uh, look like it, even for as many Hall of Famers as they have on that team, look like a very average team, a team that would not survive the Warriors, would not survive the Phoenix Suns if they play them in, in the postseason. Remember, the Warriors, they're doing all everything they're doing. They still have a, don't even have Klay Thompson. We're, what? Two weeks away, possibly, from his return and still hold the top spot in the Western Conference. Now, a couple of injuries uh, that are somewhat concerning to, to look at when it comes to what we view as top teams in the Eastern Conference, both with the Nets and the Miami Heat. I mean, it's troubling to see that Joe Harris is going to miss uh, at least the next month and a half, probably close to two months. We probably won't see him until uh, end of January, beginning of February. And that was probably to be expected uh, after missed six consecutive games following uh, the ankle injury uh, in mid-November. And then last week it became confirmed when he had surgery and now is going to be out anywhere from four to eight weeks. The positive here, though, is the fact that you can turn to somebody like Patty Mills, um, who you're getting at a bargain. You signed him for what, like, no, $6 million a year? And he's, you know, second to Harris in the NBA in three-point uh, shooting percentage has been a guy that, you know, on times where, you know, some, a certain starter is having an off night, he comes off the bench and, you know, just out of nowhere will have, you know, 25 uh, points in a night. I mean, we knew he was a good three-point shooter, but we didn't know that he was going to be this much of a, you know, point scorer, this um, much of an important piece of the Nets offense. The more concerning injury, though, to me, is the Bam Adebayo injury for the Miami Heat. Now that them losing him to a thumb injury for the next you know month and a half, um, missing anywhere from you know fifteen to twenty games is you know a big loss for them, especially when they go up against you know teams with um, dominant bigs, teams that. Have that guy down low that is going to be a load to deal with. You know, the 76ers with uh, Embiid. Or, you know, I know he's more so considered a, a power forward than he is uh, a really a big man. But going up against uh, the, the size of the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis or with Brooke Lopez uh, down low is going to be uh, a problem for Miami while they have Bam out. I mean, you look Saturday night, they got blown out uh, by the Bucks. a lot of it because the Bucks are dominating the paint, you know, the, out-rebounding them by 20, uh, outscoring them in the paint by 22. It, it 
was just you know, a mismatch at times uh, as far as uh, the paint battle goes uh, between the Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. And you hope, if you're a Heat fan, that it's on the shorter end of things rather than the longer side when it comes to the recovery process for Bam Adebayo. But you know, you look at you look at the Nets and the Heat. At least, you know, with these injuries, they've created some breathing room for themselves. You know, the Nets sitting there at the one spot in the East, even with how they've struggled against teams with um, an above 500 winning percentage. Uh, the, the Miami Heat, even after that blowout loss, they still sit in the number four spot in the Eastern Conference. That's you know, not the same that we can say, though, for the New York Knickerbockers, who you're worried about this happening after last year's cute, surprising uh, number four overall seed season that they had, where they just came out of, out of nowhere, won uh over 40 games with a four seed hosting a playoff series at Madison Square Garden before bowing out to the Hawks. Now, I think we all said that they weren't the fourth best team in the East and that they would probably slip in the standings, but they could still get better this year even without having that high a, a spot in the Eastern Conference. If anything, they have regressed this year. And this was a team that they had a lot of salary cap. They went out and spent it. And we're looking at a one game under 500 basketball team. You know, they go out there, they lock up Derrick Rose to his contract extension. They give a contracts to Evan Fournier, give a contract to uh, Kemba Walker after he gets uh, bought out by OKC following the trade with the Celtics. And this team is sitting here after 23 games at 11 and 12. Now, last week, you have their little crybaby fest in Brooklyn where uh, Julius Randle is complaining about uh, not getting the calls that he thinks as an all-star last year he should have been getting. Uh, they had to battle back from an early a uh, huge hole against the Bulls just to still fall short. And then Saturday night, they get blown out by the Denver Nuggets, who coming in had lost seven out of eight games and are without two of their three best players. You know, we don't know if Jamal Murray is going to play this year. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., he, he might be lost for the season. And Jokic, you know, you know that he's the reigning defending um, league MVP, and he's just running circles around uh, the the Knicks, posting up an, an easy 32 against them. And you know, you look at this Knicks team. A, they're they're an awful shooting team. They're bottom 10 in, in the league in shooting. They're spending way too much time whining, complaining, bitching about uh, the referees not giving them calls rather than be the aggressors, be, try to play that physical style that you're used to seeing from a Tom Thibodeau uh, team. I mean, when have you ever seen a Tom Thibodeau team not show effort, not show heart, not show hustle? 
That's what they did on on Saturday night. I, the 14, only losing by 14, that was a very deceiving final score. This was an ass-kicking, what they suffered against uh, the Denver Nuggets on, on Saturday. There's no other way to put it. Between that, bad shooting, the, the fact that they're overly reliant on Derrick Rose, uh, complaining with the referees, and now the worst thing that could have happened with them, and that's that Kemba Walker is a total stiff. You knew, Listen, when you brought him in, you knew that he is not your traditional point guard. You knew that this is a guy that he's not going to be the spread the ball around the court kind of guy like you get with Chris Paul or like James Harden has been in his time with the Brooklyn Nets. That this is a shoot-first, offensive-oriented uh, point guard for the New York Knicks. But the last thing we would have thought is that we are sitting here 20 games into this season. And that and that's all it took was 20 games into the regular season. And Kemba Walker is not only out of the starting lineup, he's out of the rotation altogether. He's been benched. Even with the blowout on Saturday night, he got no burn. He got no uh, minutes on the court. And that's because they are an awful defensive unit when he is on the floor. You realize that the Knicks are a minus 122 with Kemba Walker on the floor. This is a former all-star point guard. This is the guy that, you know, he's battled some injuries the last couple of years. But, you know, he clearly didn't fit in in Boston. You felt, you thought that, oh, maybe it's just uh, another example of what happened with uh, Kyrie being on the same team as Tatum, Brown, Smart, and company. But but no, we're seeing the complete and utter deterioration before our eyes of this guy. And no, there's... Where do you go from here? Like, what? no one's going to trade for him. Seeing how he's played with the Knicks and the fact that he's still got another year on his contract after it, and it, and it puts, uh, you know, the this front office in a bad uh, position because they spent all of their cap money this past year. They, they're this team that they have right now, unless they make trades, and you're not going to get trades this early in the season. But unless they make some kind of trade, you know, trade off someone's contract. This is the team they're locked into through the next couple of years. And the only way you're, you're taking, you're getting someone to take one of these bad deals is if you attach draft picks onto them. And listen, that is what put the Knicks in the hellhole that they have been in the last 20 years or so, um, where they were constantly attaching first round picks to trading players. So, that's not a road or a route you want to see the Knicks go down again. So they're really in a tough spot. We, we knew that they were going to regress to the means as far as standings go in the Eastern Conference. But you didn't think that they would become such a lackluster team that you know struggles this much at home. Uh, 
is whining and complaining uh, with the referees every night. And as a Tom Thibodeau team, having people question their heart, hustle, and whether they actually gave a damn, especially playing against a team without two of its three best players. Going to take one final break, come back and finish things up, continue keeping it sports with M3. One thing that I always shake my head about is all of the outcries by fans of college football or you know, casual viewers of college football when it comes to players who either enter the transfer portal, who A, take what is later deemed an illegal benefit to help out their family, or leave college early and go professional. Now, people always um, complain about that. Um, they say, oh, you're getting a free education. Why are you going to give uh, that up? Even though, hey, the very next play could end uh, your playing career, could uh, put a hindrance, a dent into your uh, long-term future. You know, that's why you know, I, I never got on uh, Joey Bosa for sitting out of uh, the Fiesta Bowl. You, know, you look at the the other side of the field and Jalen Smith, his career was never the same after that. Yeah. He, he was eventually drafted by the Cowboys, but he was cut in the middle of his rookie contract. He never, or should we say early in his um, contract extension, he never got back to the level of talent that he was prior to that Fiesta Bowl injury. So, you know, people who complain about these players uh, leaving early, complain about uh, th them sitting out bowl games, all that stuff, they can all, quite frankly, go to hell with those complaints. With the continuation of what makes college football the ultimate cesspool, the ultimate embarrassment of, over time, with what you've seen from some of these coaching changes in the last week. I mean, you look at it with Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma because clearly he was afraid of them going to the SEC, realizing that I got a much better chance of winning, and, and not just winning the conference, but winning as far as getting into the college football playoff as the head coach of SC, of a Pac-10 team than I do as an SEC team. Because if he stayed with Oklahoma, he would have to have gone through Alabama, LSU, uh, the, uh, the likes of Georgia, because Kirby Smart's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Auburn is always there. In the Pac-12, all you got to deal with is Oregon. And that might be questionable after today's uh, seismic shift announcement. But, you know, with that move, you know, he's already gotten a lot of recruits and players that had committed to Oklahoma, dropped their uh, commitments and look at USC as a viable option, as an option to 
get back to what they were under Pete Carroll. Now, this week, we've seen even more uh, change in in uh, the college coaching landscape. First off, Lincoln Riley will be replaced at Oklahoma by now. A former Clemson defensive coordinator, Will Venables. But then what we've seen in the last you know, week is just kind of disgusting and embarrassing. Take today, Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon for Miami. And it, you know what's embarrassing here? Not, you know, the crystal ball end of things because, you know, he's going to get compensated very well, make $8 million annually, and Miami's going to uh, uh, pay his $9 million buyout. It's the fact that they were negotiating with this guy for the last month while Manny Diaz was still technically the head coach of Miami. I mean, it was the longest known secret that they wanted to move on from Manny Diaz. It, it had not worked out there uh, to the extent that they hope. And now they're bringing back, you know, a guy in Cristobal who, you know, you know he is a uh, a former uh, Hurricane. He, you know, he played, he played there and, you know, he's shown a lot of success with a, a Pac-12 team, now they're hoping that he can come and have that same success against Clemson in the ACC. I mean, you look at Cristobal's resume, it, there's no denying it that he's a very good coach. Two uh, Pac-12 championships at Oregon. Uh, he won the Rose Bowl two years ago, has won the Pac-12 North uh, title three times, and went 35-13 and over his uh, time there. But just the way that this was handled was embarrassing. To me, not as embarrassing, though, as the Brian Kelly situation, which, what a surprise. Brian Kelly uh, handling an exit awfully. Remember, back in, what was it, 2009 when he left Cincinnati? He made his announcement to his players at a team banquet that he was leaving. And that was after a 12-0 season that earned them a bid in the Sugar Bowl. And the team got their ass kicked by Florida in said game. Now, he's going from Notre Dame to LSU after a very successful 12-year run at Notre Dame. Going 113-40. Had seven 10-win seasons, two 12-win uh, seasons. Uh one of which uh, got him to the BCS championship game against Alabama in uh, 2012 that they would get smoked down in Miami. Even made the college football playoff twice in the last three uh, years. But look at how he handled this exit. Notre Dame going into last weekend still had an opportunity. Well, it was an outside shot. Still had a shot to get in the college football playoff. They were number six in the rankings heading into championship weekend. And he decides to make the jump from Notre Dame to LSU and inform his players via text message. 
tell them, oh, they did such a great job uh, living up to the tradition and standards of Notre Dame. But I'm leaving. I'm no longer going to be your head coach. And then only speaks to them in person in an 11-minute team meeting on Tuesday morning before jetting out for Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I mean, he is the definition of an embarrassment and an impossible person to like or respect in the world of college athletics. And to make things even worse is the ass-kissing fest he put on for the LSU faithful on Wednesday. Because he has his introductory press conference, and then later that night, he speaks to LSU fans prior to the men's basketball team's game against Ohio. And here's where the problem resides in all this. Because all of a sudden, as he's speaking, he decides he's going to develop a very southern accent there. You know, kind of like the, the fake southern accent I just tried to do there. And makes an all-out ass out of himself. The fans are eating it up. But we all know, there's nothing southern about this guy. He was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. That's where his coaching career began uh, years ago. And he spent the majority of his career as a head coach in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. Last time I checked, there's nothing there's nothing Southern about any of those states. So please, Brian Kelly, come back to us here. I mean that that, that was that was just a joke, an all-out embarrassment. So, like I said, for anybody out there that whines, complains about players leaving early. You better show that same kind of emotion, anger, and uh, feel of betrayal toward these coaches. Because, let's face it, college sports, there's no loyalty to any programs anymore. There's just a loyalty to yourself and the almighty dollar. You know, the money talks in that sport. And, unfortunately, at times, it gets guys to do some very classless, disrespectful things. Now, I mentioned it championship weekend this past week, and there were four of these title games that we were going to be paying attention to because I don't care what what they say. You know, the, you know Oregon would have had to have beat Utah by 100 to even have a shot as a two-loss team of getting into the playoff. They, as long as it's four teams... It, Unless, you know, everybody has one loss heading into championship Saturday. The committee is never going to acknowledge two losses when it comes to a playoff spot. That's something that they have been very hesitant to even cross the border of so far. But there were, the things we were going to watch is, you know, you had six teams for four spots. You had... You know, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati, uh, Oklahoma State, and uh, Notre Dame. And Notre Dame would have needed at least three teams to fall if they were going to get up. And those three teams had to be Alabama, Michigan, uh, Cincinnati, or Oklahoma State. 
Now, three of those four teams had to drop, had to lose for them to get in. Well, they got one of them. They got Oklahoma State early on, which, I mean, what do you know? The country was trying to put some faith behind a Big 12 team to finally get in that's not named Oklahoma. And they let us down because Spencer Sanders de- decides to throw oh, four interceptions, be very uh, loose with the football. And then Oklahoma State, just when it looks like the Cowboys are going to get right back in it, take the lead. They have their hearts broken when Desmond Jackson is stopped at the goal line with 30 seconds to go on fourth down. Remember, they had first and goal at the two-yard line with a minute and a half to go. Four opportunities to get in, get stuffed twice up the middle, and then you have uh, this attempt at a uh, an end-around play by Desmond Jackson in which he misses the pile on as he's going out of bounds by about two inches. Now, everything else would play up to script. Everything else would play up to what you expect. Cincinnati, after struggling in the first half, would uh, blow out Houston in the second half. Now, uh, Jerome Ford uh, having another big day, uh, putting up 180 yards. What we did not expect is the two night games with the SEC and the Big Ten to turn into all-out blowouts, especially with Alabama, you know, for the first time this year, handing Georgia its lunch. This is a Georgia team we talked about having, you know, anywhere from 8 to 11 pros on their defensive starting lineup. This is a Georgia team that had not allowed more than 23 points in a game this year. And they give up 24 in the second quarter on route to getting smacked by the Crimson Tide. All right, Bryce Young, if he didn't clinch the uh, Heisman Trophy on Saturday night, no, I, I don't know what they're watching because he, he was astounding. He had a, another... Uh, chart-topping performance. Now he has 43 touchdowns on the season to only four interceptions. And yes, he loses one of his uh, best receivers to a, a leg injury early in that game. But uh, Jamison Williams was a man amongst boys on uh, Saturday night. No, no answers by uh, the Georgia secondary covering him deep down uh, the field there. And, you know, Kirby Smart and Georgia, you know, I said going into that day, if not now, when? I mean, is that when ever going to happen for Kirby and, and company? I mean, we've seen them blow double-digit leads in the SEC title game against this team. We've seen them blow big leads in the national championship game, the, the Tua Tagovola com, uh, coming out party a couple of years ago. And now this, having all year long the best defense in the country and getting smacked around by Nick Saban um, on route to uh, having your first loss of the season. Now, they, thanks to some of the other losses around the the country, you know, Oklahoma State dropping, uh, 
Notre Dame not playing a championship uh, game, no, and the two lost teams not being respected, they still managed to make the playoff. The the playoff uh, starting on Saturday, uh, or should I say Friday, uh, December 31st, will be Alabama versus Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. And in the Orange Bowl, you'll have number three Georgia going up against number two Michigan after uh, their 42-3 uh, um, beatdown over Iowa late Saturday night. So that's your four-team playoff uh, right there. You have Michigan with their first opportunity to win a national championship since 1997. You have Georgia, who was the best defense all season long up until Saturday. Uh, the uh, Everybody's darling in uh, Cincinnati. And then, of course, the Crimson Tide, who it's a dynasty that people want to go away, people wish would go away. But outside of two years ago when LSU was representing things out of uh, the SEC, they've never truly gone away. Uh, under Nick Saban, you know, you change the quarterback, you change the the, the faces, the, the, the names on this team. Hell, he loses members on his coaching staff left and right to become successful head coaches elsewhere and they just continue to mow along and continue to be the dominant presence in all of college athletics um and like i said you know georgia it was finally their chance to uh put uh, old saint nick in his place and instead, he's looking at another one of his protégés saying, not today, young buck. There's a reason why I'm 25-1 and one against uh, my former uh, coaches, against members of my coaching tree. And you're not going to be that number two. At least not yet. At least not now. And that, my friends, was Keeping Sports with M3 for Monday, December 6, 2021. Like I said, hopefully next week we're back in the studio. Hopefully this COVID outbreak there is not such a big deal. Until then, everyone have a great week. Have a great night. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay happy. And I'll talk to you again hopefully earlier than this next Monday afternoon. Peace. Thank you.